0: So welcome everybody to our podcast series, Leading in a Climate Changed World, and it's a great pleasure today to be talking to Emma Kemp. Emma is a campaigns manager at the UK-based climate charity Possible, working on positive and practical ways to tackle the climate crisis. Emma currently leads on their innovative and exciting Climate Perks initiative, giving employers the opportunity to empower their staff to opt for flight-free travel. And maybe that's a good place to start. And remember, first of all, thank you very much for giving us your time today. And maybe we can start with no a description worries. of what Possible is and also what your particular initiative focuses on.
1: Yeah, so, so Possible is a climate change charity. We're based in the UK um, with, and most of our work does tend to focus on uh, UK problems. We work on a variety of different initiatives. So what we tend to do is we tend to look for difficult to work in areas, um, areas where there aren't, you know, maybe not obvious solutions or if there are people aren't utilising them. Um, And then we come up with campaigns or projects that make these really accessible to people. Um, So we're all about making sure the public are really involved in the transition to a low carbon society. Um, The project I work on is called Climate Perks. Um, It's a employee benefit scheme, essentially. Um, We work with employers um, and employers taking part in the scheme offer their staff extra paid journey days on top of annual leave when they choose low carbon transport to their holiday destinations. So at the moment, the main barrier for people not taking low carbon transport on holiday is just the extra time that it takes. So by giving people that time back, um, it enables them to make more climate friendly decisions.
0: Sounds great, it's a great idea. Um, Of course, at the moment, because of the coronavirus, nobody's traveling anywhere, and particularly people are not flying anywhere. And I'm wondering if you have any sense, of course, one of the big questions is, will we all revert to type as soon as we can? Or do you feel that there's a discernible shift, possibly, anyway, in people's travel modalities?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, and I think, you know, it's hard to say all of it is sort of um, guesswork at the moment. But whenever things change in such a severe way, obviously the whole of society right now is just halted, which is a very unusual situation. And you get these moments in, um, you know, in our lives, uh, which we call uh, or sort of sociologists and psychologists call like change moments, change points um which is usually when people move house or start a new job um or maybe leave university and these are points where everything changes for us um and it makes it much more easy to change your habits and pick up new habits healthier habits um so you might start a new job and also get a gym membership um at the moment you could kind of say that you know all of us globally um and Speaking for the UK, we can definitely say the UK is in a sort of change point because everything has suddenly stopped. Our normal habits have stopped. So, this does offer an opportunity for sure to uh, reevaluate um, our behaviors and maybe look towards how we can be more sustainable going forwards when everything does start to sort of get back to usual.
0: Right, I like the the, the the terminology that you're using. And do you think that there's a way to leverage this change point? I mean, I guess that's part of what you'll be focusing on when, as and when the lockdown is lifted, to, to kind of move into that space and say, well, now you're going to start traveling again. Be mindful how you do that. I'm just wondering if you're seeing anybody in the space that you're working in who is really addressing that, or do you feel optimistic that the change is going to be embedded?
1: Um, yeah I think this is you know it's definitely something that we will need to uh, work towards I think right now the stage we're in with coronavirus is a stage where all the focus does just need to be on um, you know uh, tackling the virus on making sure people stay inside on the sort of um, immediate short-term actions that we need to take in relation to the virus Um, and I think there'll be it will become more clear when the time is right to start thinking when we're looking to go back to normal basically that's the point um once things have started to die down where we can start looking at how we start to incorporate in better behaviors and how we make sure that when we return to normal that we try to make it a slightly better normal um a normal that is fairer and is and more supportive of the climate and people um so one of the campaigns um that we're involved in at the moment is calling for the government to support um people rather than planes
0: that sounds great so maybe you can tell us a bit more about that campaign
1: yeah sure so we're calling on the chancellor to ensure that any airline bailouts come with conditions attached um so we want to protect the public good if airlines are permitted to access additional state support then they must protect their workers and the climate, and pay their taxes as well. That's a key.
0: Fantastic. Any any sense of the likely response to that yet?
1: Um, it's hard to say at the moment. I mean, it's got lots of support from lots of different organisations, um, and I think you know, airlines in particular have kind of been. Whilst every other industry has been required to decarbonise, they have kind of been getting let off the hook for the last few years. And now, obviously, they have been really hard hit by this crisis, which is obviously awful for the people working there. Um, So we want to make sure that if there are any bailouts, that they're fair to everyone, that people are protected and the climate.
0: Right. So I'm curious also how your work has really changed in the last let's say four to six weeks yeah are you just kind of carrying on doing what you're doing or has it just really mean, meant to shift a focus for you
1: so it kind of depends on the campaigns um so some of our work is kind of you know whilst everything is kind of held up to some extent at the moment some of our work is able to carry on more easily um for example we have our powering parks project um which is working with it's quite niche um, a little bit geeky, but it's fun. Um, so, it's working with councils um, to help them get renewable heat from, from under their parks, use those heat pumps, and use that to power public buildings. Um, so, quite a niche little project, but relatively easy to make sure that continues um, once things start dying down and people can interact again. Um, aside from that, we have our Riding Sunbeams campaign, which is really interesting. It's basically plugging solar into the railway grid, Um, the railway lines for the first time ever that hadn't really been done in the specific way that we're doing it. So um, railway lines that are electrified, um, you can plug solar in directly to them now. Um, And that's something we're um, trialing at the moment. So that's super exciting. Obviously, like everything else is kind of on hold at the moment, but relatively easy pick up. So you can kind of have conversations in the meantime and get things in place. Probably the thing that is most um, hit right now is my project, which is um, obviously working with employers to support people to take these climate friendly holidays, um, which is unfortunate because it was going so well (laughs) before this happened. Um, It's a really exciting project because obviously everyone loves a holiday. um, So you're able to take something that people already love um, and enable them to do it in a way which is more sustainable. So it's super exciting. but right now you know obviously no one is taking holidays Um, we will have to see how you know the economy looks after this and when things you know maybe people will be nervous to go on holiday because of the way the virus has spread Um, i mean it's all yet to be seen or maybe people will be super keen and everyone will be booking trips as once things start to die down so we'll have to see um, for now it's um the project was actually going you know we were getting so much interest in the project that honestly it was quite hard to handle as a um one woman band that i am um so right now it's given me some months to actually spend some time looking at the more you know sort of future project planning looking at budgeting and all that kind of background stuff that goes on behind campaigns that i was struggling to find time for before um and so that that's um that's kind of okay um but Obviously, we have, you know, we've been assessing all of our campaigns, and you know, we're doing the work that I pr- uh, mentioned earlier as a sort of reactive campaign to um, try and make sure that any bailouts are considering people and the climate. Um, so, yeah, we will be look- doing reactive campaigning where it's kind of where it seems like it's necessary.
0: Right, but let's come back to your campaign because you said it was going really well before the virus, hit and and I'm sure it will go well, or hopefully it will go well again when the virus is over, whatever that means. And maybe you could just tell us a bit about who was picking it up. What was the kind of leadership? As you know, this is a leadership podcast. So what were you noticing about the kind of leaders that were picking this up and running it through their organizations?
1: Yeah, so it's a really interesting one because um, leadership can come in lots of different ways. So sometimes it was, um, the project itself received a lot of press um, and an alarming amount of press. <laughs> Usually you have to try and get the press to write about your work but, but they were just super keen on it. Um Harper's Bazaar wrote a piece on it of all places. Um obviously the Guardian loved it. But also the Telegraph wrote, wrote mul- multiple pieces about it, so did the BBC. Yeah, pause you there, so because what, it had that
0: right what what was it about your campaign that you think made it so attractive to
1: people? I do think um one thing about it is um that is to do with holidays. so it's something to do with the climate, but also something interesting and fun and something which businesses can get involved in, a business focused initiative that's actually very high impact. Um, so you know people people are kind of gunning for things that are high impact or they have been for the last couple of years in the climate space because you know, for years people have been doing their recycling. They've been switching the lights off, especially in an office context. Um, and I think people were getting a little bit, you know, frustrated with it. They want something a little bit more exciting that they could do. And, uh, you know, flying is such a high impact behavior. There's, there's almost nothing that you can buy as a consumer that would let off that much carbon in one go. Um, so for example, if you was to compare it to recycling, a year's worth of, if you did all of your household recycling for an entire year, every little scrap and you did it perfectly. And then you got a flight from London to Nice. That would be, you know, like the equivalent of all of that. So, um, you know, yeah, it's just very high impact if you're able to reduce your flying. And that's not necessarily saying, you know, that you're shunning all flying immediately forever. But if it's that you fly three times a year, if you can get that down to two, if you fly two times a year, if you can get it down to one, um, those kind of behaviors, yeah, are just super high impact. So the kind of carbon savings really speak for themselves, and the ability for businesses to drive this forwards um, with their employees is quite an exciting concept because you know, if we just ran a campaign, or if you know any climate NGO just ran a campaign saying, Hey, you guys should fly less, um, that's not that surprising or interesting to anyone. Um But if your employer um, who, you know, probably isn't a green focused employer, maybe you work at, um, you know, a marketing company or maybe you work at a law firm and your employer says, hey, um, you know, just FYI, here's here's how badly flying actually affects the planet. And obviously we are all concerned about climate change. We know that the public are really concerned about climate change and everyone's feeling this climate anxiety. Um, And we as an employer want to support you to make more client-friendly decisions when you travel. That's just, it's just a completely, it's not something that people expect to hear from an employer necessarily. um, But it's certainly something that people want to hear. Um, And so it's just, yeah, it's a new thing. And aviation in particular is hard to tackle. So there aren't many solutions to it. Um, You know, a lot of, you know, carbon offsetting. It's not really a solution, unfortunately. Um, and it can actually be really problematic because it can make people feel like, you know, oh, I've offset, so actually it's fine. But really, it just doesn't do what it says on the tin.
0: Yeah, I think what I'm really interested in, because we've done quite a bit of thinking around the, the offset question, what I'm more interested in is the psychology of the people who take it up, the employers who take it up. Because what I understand, if I understand your scheme correctly, is that people get, there's a win for the employees, right? They get more days. But there's a yeah. loss for the employer, right? Their their employee is not at work so many days. So, so I'm kind of interested in the, yeah. in the psychology of why would an employer take it up if they're going to lose their employees for more days vacation?
1: Yeah, so um, there's various different reasons why employers do choose to take this up. And actually... Um, Sometimes the way that Climate Perks ends up becoming a policy is because um, someone who's a director or someone in a uh, decision making level, you know, sees it, likes it, understands how severe climate change is and how it may well affect their business, um, you know, in the now or in the very near future. And they want to take action. It can just be as simple as that. Sometimes it might be that employees, um, you know, maybe someone at any level of the organization saw it. Um, And then they passed it up the chain. They've gone to HR or they've gone to, um, you know, maybe a sustainability manager to talk to them about it. And then eventually it has got signed off as policy. Um, So it can come from all different angles. Um, But ultimately, the reasons why employers um, join up to the scheme is one of the, the big one is really climate leadership. Um, with, you know, now it's, what, 85% of the public in the UK are either concerned or very concerned about climate change. Um, And there is an expectation increasingly of businesses that they um, should act on this and they should offer real solutions um, and innovative solutions as well that are, you know, new and fresh and high impact and exciting. And this one in particular is cool because it, you know, engages their employees in such a, you know, in such a unique way. So there's that, there's the climate leadership. Um, There's also, you know, yeah, like I've kind of touched on earlier, that this just does cut carbon really effectively, Um, you know. And whilst that might not be part of their budget, if they have a real understanding of climate change and they have an understanding of the need for us to cut carbon, you know, as a nation and globally, then they'll get how important this is. Um, and there's also the fact that this can improve employee well-being. So, as I touched on earlier, a lot of people are feeling this climate anxiety, particularly younger people, um, and now, you know, millennials pretty much um, now represent the majority of any workforce, um, and we know millennials and Gen Z's in particular feel this climate anxiety, and this gives them a way to act on climate change that they want, you know, that they want to engage in, and we theorize and you know this is what we're looking to prove over the course of the initial sort of one two year pl- pilot that we're running um we're trying to prove that you know this does help people cope with that this improves their well-being and they are more likely to stick with an employer employer employers are also hopefully more likely to attract people and um, that this gives them a bit of an edge as such a unique benefit um and so yeah there's there's lots of different reasons as well as all the you know positive press and pr that they can get off the back a bit. But um it does depend on the employer which ones appeal to the most.
0: Right. So it's kind of enlightened self-interest in a way. Like they're doing something for the climate, but they're also building maybe loyalty, and motivation, resilience in their employees also. And you said earlier that leadership cool. can happen at any level. And are you noticing, is it generally a kind of bottom-up movement, or are you noticing that CEOs are kind of switching onto it? I'm interested in this phrase climate leadership that you're talking about where are you seeing that feel free to kind of name check you know people or organizations that you think are really kind of ahead of the curve and might serve as our role models at this time
1: yeah so um i'm trying to think what the sort of split would be between um you know high high kind of upper management um bringing this um bringing this forward or whether it does tend to be from the bottom up and i would say it's about a 50-50 split. Um, maybe slightly more driven from employees, um, at lower levels. Um, but yeah, it's, you get a real mix of people and, you know, to pull out some examples, um, one of our Climate Perks employers is called Bennett's Associates. Um, they are an architecture firm. They have offices, um, across the UK, a few different offices and they're really great. Um, that, Climate Perks came um, to be a policy that they had um, through Ben Hopkins, who is an associate at the architecture firm, um, so isn't, you know, isn't a director, and he just really liked the idea and just drove it um, from the ground up and everyone got on board with it, which is really, really great. Um, And yeah, they're really, um, they're one of um, our best Climate Perks employers in that they've been promoting it really well, and yeah, they seem to be really enjoying it obviously again everything's on hold at the moment but pre-coronavirus um it was going very well there um and another one um that's really exciting that i haven't announced it yet but um a brewing company uh their ceo he just saw it um he saw it maybe i think in press um and he just really liked it and um he got one of his um assistants to Chat to me about it and then just signed it off very quickly um, so sometimes you know leadership does come from people right at the top and other times it's very much bot- bottom-up driven um, but there's leaders you know that just shows that there's climate leaders everywhere and you don't need to be in a position of power to be a climate leader but if you are you can hugely take advantage of that.
0: Right and what's the limits in terms of the numbers of extra days you could get in, in, in holiday entitlement if you follow a sustainable transport mechanism?
1: Yeah, so it's important to note that these aren't extra annual leave days. They are categorised as separate to that. So um, you might compare them more to volunteer leave days, um, which are you know days that a lot of organisations offer, um, days that you can be out of the office for a specific reason. Um, so with volunteer leave-, leave days, obviously, you're volunteering at a charity. Um, and with Climate Perks Sustainable Travel Days, you are taking sustainable travel on the way to your holiday destination. And there is a lower limit in the employers taking part. can offer. Um, they offer a minimum of two days a year um, and they, each employer sets the upper limit themselves. So some will keep it at two days. That's completely fine. That's the standard. And that would get you, you know, if you wanted to go from London, for example, from London to Milan, um you could do that very nicely um do a return journey and you get the extra two days for that um and some other employers might offer a little bit more some will offer four days or i think we have one that's even even offering eight in um, the tech sector which is ex- tech sector <laughs> which is exciting um but yes yeah, so of the standard is two maybe three days and um, sometimes four so um yeah but that would get you you know at least one holiday, one lovely holiday to mainland Europe a year um, that you can take sustainably. So you're just switching out that flight for a sustainable holiday.
0: So what do you meaning by sustainable transport?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, So basically what's included in the policy is usually anything but flying. Um, So it is up to each individual businesses to decide exactly how they want their policy to look. But the standard template is that Climate Perks Days can be used to travel on trains, coaches, um, ferries, can maybe be used even on a car journey if there's more than one person in the car. Um, That's not really what the focus is on. The focus is really, you know, trains, coaches, ferries. Um, But there's so many exciting journeys that you can take on them. Um, I have only really discovered this way of traveling in the last couple of years um, because even as someone who grew up aware of climate change, um, flying has become so normalized that I didn't really think of it um and part of climate perks is just making you know putting this option in front of people making sure that they're aware that this is an option and giving the oppor- giving them the opportunity to take advantage of that um so for example in the last couple of years um in 2018 i did a big trip to italy on the train so i went down from london to paris and then hopped over to turin and then just went all over italy um even down to sicily and the journey to sicily is amazing The train hops onto a ferry and then drives across <laughs> the ferry goes across the water and then the train just sort of jumps back onto the mainland it's very exciting um and last year I went to Croatia um with some of my friends from my hometown in Essex and we went down through Italy again um, and then went to Bari got a little ferry over to Croatia and just went all over the place came back by Munich stopped in Brussels for a couple of days and ate waffles I mean there's it's not only about the sustainability what we really really want to show with this project is that this can actually be a better way to travel and that it doesn't necessarily have to not everything needs to be so quick and immediate and fast as we can you know it can be about the journey and enjoying that and actually visiting a lot more places rather than just you know zipping off into the air getting plonked somewhere in a resort and just staying there um it can be about really you know exploring which is super exciting and if we can show that through Um, people working at businesses all across the UK um, and make that a more normalized way to travel, then we we will have really achieved our aims here.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Sounds very exciting. So why is the focus on holiday travel as opposed to business travel, when we also know that people flying business class around the world create a huge carbon footprint?
1: Yeah, so... um, that is a question that comes up a lot especially because obviously we're working with businesses so it's the first thing that comes to mind um and whilst you know clearly business travel um you know can also be problematic and it's it's amazing that businesses are reducing the amount that they do travel um that they do fly for business um actually holiday travel makes up the vast majority of all travel that we do. Um, So I think in the UK, it's less than one in 10 flights is for business. Um, So people often have this concept that actually, you know, all the flights are just, you know, people in suits flying around doing business things. But, you know, really it is is people um, going for leisure mostly. And um, also just to kind of focus on the UK a bit, um, some of the stats on it are really surprising um, because the UK um, and Britain, Brits, in particular, fly more than the people of any other nation. Um, one in every 12 international travellers are British. Um, so we are very much kind of the hub of this um, behaviour here. So we are really in a strong position to change it. Um, since there are so many amazing places we can visit without flying um, across Europe, because we are you know, well connected by the Eurostar and by both.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And I'm wondering, maybe just as we come towards the end of the interview, is there anything else you want to say about leadership that you're experiencing or witnessing on on other scales? Corporate leadership, local leadership, political leadership. How are you experiencing climate leadership more broadly, like beyond your own particular focus around the climate perks? But what are you noticing in in the UK or in the global system that gives you hope and, and, and a sense of encouragement?
1: Yeah, so we, um, our organisation in particular is very kind of, you know, focused on hope um, and we're always looking for it and looking to generate it where we can. Um, and I think you really see it everywhere and increasingly, you know, and even through the coronavirus um, situation, you know, this moment really shows that people can come together for a common good. Um, We're stronger when we work together um, on the biggest challenges that we face um, and that's clearly relevant to climate change. Um, And yeah, we do see leaders everywhere. For example, with the Powering Parks project I mentioned earlier, that gives councils, people in councils, the opportunity to be leaders. Um, And in Hackney, um, something that was started that's really fun by a local green campaigner named Brenda, um, she started this movement for parklets. um, And what they are is if you have a car parking space outside your house um she she just took hers and she turned it into a mini park um that can be used by anyone passing by um got a little bench it's lovely and that's you know that's not just about creating um extra green space it's about taking some of our city space back from cars and particularly on some of the uk's most polluted streets um in london it's It's a really exciting project. Um, Hackney Council actually made it an official scheme now. People can apply to turn their car parking states into a parklet. So that's some amazing leadership there and we're working with people to try and popularise this scheme and make it um, spread outside of just the Hackney borough. Um, You also see leadership, you know, sort of on an international level. I know in Copenhagen, they've got these amazing bike lanes. Um, I believe they have, or they're about to, um, or I think they have now, made all public transport free, which is super exciting. Um, And I know in Amsterdam, their public transport, they have some really great goals on getting it, you know, all running on renewables. Um, And I think if it isn't now, it nearly all is. Um, So they're building these wind turbines off the coast, um, or they were when I spoke to them last year, um, to directly power all their public transport systems in um, Amsterdam. So that's super exciting. Yeah, I think there's there's just so many examples of leadership all over the place, you know, um, whether it's one lady in Hackney or whether it's, um, you know, councils running huge cities um, or mayors. It's, yeah, it's all over the place. And it's really, climate change is, we're at a really exciting time in climate action because finally... The public are really behind this and everyone really is starting to understand that this is a really serious issue but not only that it's an opportunity for us to all take action together um and build something build you know a low-carbon world that works for everyone
0: that's great emma thank you and i just want to maybe close with uh, with a more personal question about you know you're of a generation that's going to be working with this topic for maybe quite a long time into the future. And I'm wondering if you face that future with hope and optimism or kind of, Oh my God, how's it going to be for us and how you manage your feelings as you kind of move into the next few decades.
1: Yeah. um, So I, you know, I've been concerned about climate change ever since I really figured out that it was happening when I was about 13. Um, And my way of coping with it was through action Um, and I really think that is the best way to deal with the problem Um, you know you can't just stick your head in the sand and pretend it's not going on you you have to band together with with other people and take action together and really um, support the actions that other people are taking and embrace that and you know never lose hope because climate change isn't just a will it happen or won't it happen climate change is already happening really the challenge to us is how can we mitigate it and how can we um, reduce the negative effects and how can we build things and make them better and you know make ourselves more resilient more sustainable you know it's not just a all or nothing Um, it's an opportunity for us to build and create something good
0: yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. And as you were talking, I was reminded that I'm from a Jewish background and these, these eight days that we're in at the moment is the time of Passover.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> and in the Passover service that was last Wednesday evening, there's a, there's a description of four participants in the Passover and it says the hope of liberation always depends on the active participant. And the way that's what you're saying And thank you very much for being an active participant in this climate question. And we wish you every success in climate perks and, and possible and your life as it unfolds also. And thank you so much for giving us your time today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was lovely.